You're listening to Beyond the Clinic, Living Well with Melanoma, a podcast produced by Aim at Melanoma, the foundation working to end melanoma. Hosted by the Director of Cancer Survivorship for Kaiser Permanente San Francisco, Dr. Raymond Liu. Beyond the Clinic features topics seldom discussed in the exam room, but essential to patients and their families during and beyond treatment. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical care and is not intended for use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy should not be construed as an aim at melanoma endorsement. Cancer research discussed in this podcast is ongoing, so the data described here may change as research progresses. Hi, everyone. Welcome to AIM Melanoma's Beyond the Clinic podcast series. It's summer, and we're going to talk about the importance of sun safety and facing the psychological challenges of sun exposure on melanoma patients. I'll be co-hosting today's podcast with AIM Melanoma's very own Melissa Wilson from our AIM Ask a Medical Expert program and the AIM Melanoma lead of the UPMC Hillman Cancer Center. Our special guest today is Kathy Madden, nurse practitioner at the Melanoma Program at NYU Langone Perlmutter Cancer Center. Ms. Madden has been a nurse practitioner in medical oncology for over 16 years, and her practice specialty is in melanoma and other skin-related malignancies. She participates in clinical research and has taught, lectured, filmed, and written extensively in her areas of expertise. Additionally, Ms. Madden holds numerous certifications in holistic nursing and integrative care techniques and modalities. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you so much for joining. Th- thank you for her co-hosting, Alyssa, and thank oh you, Kathy, gosh. for joining. <laughs> so excited. This is such a great topic for summertime, so I'm excited. Yeah, so we're going to talk about sun safety. Kathy, um, head us off. <laughs> sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a privilege uh, to always work with AIM and, and everyone who's affiliated with AIM. Um, so this is a really big area, and I love that we're having con- we're engaging in conversation today about the psychological aspects of skin cancer and specifically melanoma. And it takes us kind of into the sphere of where patients and their family members and how this diagnosis alters people's behaviors, um, especially with sun safety mechanisms, um, how they react and respond. I've had some experiences where some of the family members will come in like brown as toast uh, Mm. and really dark, and then the patient comes in all covered up and slathered uh, for their office appointments, and and what's good for the patient doesn't always translate for the rest of the family, especially blood relatives. So there's a lot of opportunity for education to happen there. And then some people really engage in um, being fearful, being really concerned about engaging in outdoor activities. Uh, And it's a great opportunity to open up that conversation to educate patients that they needn't be terrified of the sun, but, uh, and outdoor activities that they love to engage in, but we can do it with better sun safety and sun smart behaviors. How, um, how do you work with your patients? So for our patients, we try to strike a balance. So a lot of folks, like you had mentioned, Kathy, come in and they're t- completely terrified of the sun now. They don't want to go outside. They're canceling family vacations. Um, and so our education really focuses on 
you need to continue to do the things that you love in life, but you now just have to do them in a sun smart way. So, you know, we give lots of examples of ways to protect, you know, your family and yourself from the sun, just to your other point, you know, this isn't just a only about the family. So I guess for me, you know, I'd like to hear how you present to the family when, when they do come in looking, you know, like they've spent 16 hours in the sun and the patient is sitting there with, you know, blankets and hats and 15 layers of sunscreen. And Kathy, do you think it's also about just the validation uh, and just talk, communic- opening that channel of communication, right? Because you're noticing something and sometimes just by bringing it out there, then you can get mm-hmm. how, start that conversation because different people feel differently about it. Absolutely. And, and opening up the, the space and the um, giving patients permission to share some of these things that may not be as, um, let's say, clinically relevant to their visit if they're on treatment. You know, we tend to be very medically focused and focusing on side effects and symptoms. And let's face it, we don't always have the time that we would like to dedicate. Sometimes I have... Um, presented a topic to patients and I could just read on their face, you know, it's like read the room. They're not ready to talk about this or it's just too overwhelming. So uh, at times I, I've said to them, you know what, it seems like it, you, this this is a lot for you to digest right now. May I call you in a couple of days, check in on you, see how things are going. And I'd really like to continue this conversation with you. Um, I'll do that with other topics, but um, Oftentimes, we're able to kind of weed through this and and uh, get to the core source of you know what's bothering someone, what's causing their anxiety and driving that. Is this is, is there are there underlying issues that are going on that we have now new opportunity to address in tandem? But specifically with the um, the sun safety and the conversations that I've had with patients, I had one gentleman who absolutely loved boating. Uh, he would go out, I'm in the New York area, so he would be in the Long Island Sound and and going out to the end of Long Island. And just, he really, it, that just recharged his batteries. Um, however, he took his diagnosis to a place where he said, nope, that's it. Um, all these years in the sun and and not having protected myself as well as I could have, I'm I'm no longer boating. And I, I think us as the team, we, we reflexively said, well, no, 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 you don't have to do that. You know, it's certainly it's your choice, but we want to encourage you. You love that activity so much that please don't do that just because of the diagnosis. There are things that you can do to still engage in um, in, in boating and, and maintaining some of that engagement and lifestyle. Um, and going through, talking about SPF protection, reapplication of that, um, SPF clothing, uh, wearing hats and, and um, uh sunglasses, uh, just really uh, being smart about that. And in a, in a time where we have so much opportunity to have these protective devices and, and clothing, and uh, it's, it's just really part of that conversation that, that we have. And we always ask all of our patients, like, you know, what are you doing? You're wearing sunscreen. And it's not just for the summer. It's very apropos right now because mm-hmm. people are wearing 
less clothing. Uh, however, you know, people sometimes are, uh, you know, just snow without shoveling uh, in our area in the Northeast. Uh, people are uh, going on vacation sometimes and people are traveling more, getting out hiking, especially mm-hmm. with COVID. People have tried to engage more in outdoor activities. So uh, just trying to help support them in those things that will in- enrich and, and support their, their psychological health uh, while they're maintaining their physical health. Wow, there, there's like a lot, lot, of, lot to pack, unpack from that because I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think, um, well, first of all, it's not in this, always in the summer, right? Um, no matter where you are, um, we out here in the West Coast, it's it's the fog, and you know you can get the UV mm. exposure through the fog. Um, and I think I also heard a lot about sort of that boating store was so powerful to me because it, it shows that you know if we don't ask, we don't understand what's happening in the back because people are making decisions and um, if we can help them, they can dramatically change their lives and, and their decisions. Um, and so if we, it reminds me of something we, we, we talk about here now is to really understand people, who they are and what their goals are. And when we do that, when we communicate, again, we open up those lines of communication. Sometimes you can learn things that can you know, then you can provide that uh, reassurance and, and say, hey, you can go boating if you do these things. That, that's great. That's an amazing story. Um, uh, Melissa, you've probably heard a lot of these stories like that too, right? I think that both of you have have touched on this, but I think one of the most important things is just opening the communication line. And so one of the techniques that our clinic has tried to implement um, in specific is during that first new patient diagnosis visit really saying you know how how do you protect yourself from the sun do you have you know all the tools that are necessary here's what we suggest and so i think you know that's a really great opportunity to try to like when you're doing your teaching about staging and everything else to really open that communication really right off the bat like not waiting until it becomes an issue and now, Melissa, you bring up a, a great um, conversation starter. And just to um, dovetail on that, a lot of times, uh, you know, I just try to normalize this abnormal visit in people's mm-hmm. lives. And I'll just say to them, like, hey, you know, so what do you do in the, ne- in the next few weeks, you know, until we see you next? Like, what's going on? And, you know, not to be intrusive, but to also kind of probe a little bit and, right. and see, you know, how are you spending your time? And is there an opportunity to kind of, um, well, one, it, engage in, in deeper connection um, in different ways, but also to really to get a, get a, a temperature and, and an assessment of how are you spending your time and what does that look like? And if someone says, oh yeah, I'm going to Florida or I, you know, we're going to the beach and okay, oh, hey, tell me about that. You know, how, how did you plan for that? What's, what's your strategy? Yeah, checking in to see, you know, what, what their thought process is and how we might be able to support them or just really just validate that they're on the right track and doing everything right. So one of the other issues that we kind of have come across is the, so you have the extremely sun sensitive folks who are now afraid to go out in the sun, but then I have come across the opposite spectrum where you find patients that are like, well, I already have a melanoma. So what difference does it make? Which those are far mm-hmm. more far and between, but how how do you relate to that and how do we educate patients in that regard? So the conversation for in our clinic really is, it starts off at the onset of 
because you have had a melanoma, you were at, a, at a, almost a tenfold risk of developing another primary melanoma. Uh, we worry about recurrence regardless of stage. Um, in situ is very likely not to uh, have an issue. Usually just that's a surgical quote unquote cure. But beyond that, we're always very suspicious and very um, meticulous to be on guard for, for any uh, lesions. Um, and in addition, we know that squamous cell and basal cell cancers, and if patients don't know that, um, we share with them that they're at very high risk for these types of other UV exposure types of lesions and uh, aging type types of lesions. So that could also be problematic. Um, and and it's, sometimes that takes a few conversations, like when people are like, ah, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I find that that tends to be a little bit rarer, especially mm -hmm. these days where melanoma surveillance and awareness is so much more heightened, especially, you know, like with organizations like AIM, like really getting these messages out there and communities and uh, people of all ages, especially younger people are becoming much, much more aware and engaging in um better awareness behaviors. Uh, it's interesting, Melissa, you, you mentioned like sort of the spectrum of, of, of responses that patients can have. I know we, we interviewed on one of our, um, our, our uh, live series, Brian Halverson, who's one of our patients who actually goes out and teaches other people about sun safety. So not only is it about um, his own thinking about it, he's actually taking that, those learnings and actually disseminating to the, to the kids he teaches. So it seems like there's a lot of individual ways to, to manage it and there's a lot of different reactions to it. Um, and the common theme there, again, is, seems like to be communication. I think one of the nice things I'm just going to throw in there is uh, targeting um, certain age groups and, and particular um, demographics like young moms. Uh, we know that protecting baby's skin and young children's skin is very important. I f I, I feel like, I, I hope this is true, but I feel like that there are more um, young families who are being raised with this sun, sunscreen awareness and, and sun protection awareness. And so there's a whole generation of children and, and younger kids where this is just normalized and that this is part of how you, you keep yourself safe. That's that's really great. What do you what do you think about um, Kathy? But about what about? There's also we've had other th discussions about, for example, image issues that can happen with scarring and and also um, let's say you're on on therapy and there's things like hair loss or rash. Um, how does that interact with the sun? Right. What, how do you counsel folks who are on therapy that might um, that could have a reaction to the sun or or have um, some some visible skin issues? So, um, Raymond, you bring up an excellent point that there are definitely therapies that are much more uh, photosensitizing, such as targeted therapies, um, some uh, medications that we might put people on, like steroids plus antibiotics, can also sensitize uh, skin. Uh, we we always make sure that that for in my clinic we we make sure that that's an inclusive conversation that uh, that people need to uh, make sure that they're protecting their skin. One of the other side effects it's not a toxicity, but vitiligo. It's that depigmentation mm. of the skin that can be patchy, um, that can be uh, anywhere from very mild to very, very notable. While it's non-malignant, it's it's not going to cause any sort of physiological um, functional issues for people. It really can pose uh, an issue where 
those areas can no longer respond to that, that danger response that our pigmented cells, our melanocytes, are triggered by this UV radiation and, and then starts producing that protective um, pigment. It, it just can't do that in those areas. So now you've got UV radiation that can penetrate to the deeper levels of tissue and can start impacting the, the DNA of, of lower tissue and, and the cells below the, the surface in the skin, and uh, thereby patients can be at a significantly higher risk for either just uh, burn and skin changes or definitely at a higher risk for other cancers uh, coming up in those areas. Melissa, how do you how do you cancel during? Well, yeah, and that's that's one thing that you know I, I'm glad Kathy brought up because it's not only just the initial conversation about mm. sun safety with these patients, um, especially with the targeted therapy agents. You know, we actually give them or used to give them. We're not allowed anymore because of COVID, but we used to give them sunscreen samples whenever we mm. would give them their teaching. So, um, and we have you know informational sheets about things to do to protect your skin, especially when you're on targeted therapy. In our specific clinic, vitiligo is the biggest issue. And in some patients, they don't realize they have it until they get sunburned there. And so it's one of those instances where, once again, you stress, like Kathy mentioned, these areas don't have the ability to protect themselves. And that if, you know, wearing sunscreen on all the sun exposed parts of your body is extremely important. So, you know, part of our teaching is, is to really stress the day to day sun protection. Even if you're going outside to sit on your porch for half an hour or going to get the mail that's a mile down the road or something like that, you know, especially with vitiligo patients, that can become a huge problem. And Melissa, to your point as well, that just struck a chord in my head that a a lot of times having the sun protection day to day is, in my experience, a little bit easier with women, um, Mm -hmm. especially women who um, use um, cosmetic products or um, are not adverse to using lotion type based products. But I do find that um, a much higher majority of my male patients uh, prefer not to use those types of products. And it's it can sometimes be a little bit challenging and, and you know, just saying, well, what are you willing to try? Like, let me meet you where you're at. And sometimes it takes a few tries and a few goes to sort of open the door. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're there as educators, we're there as sort of guides and mentors and, and as, as sort of uh, as safety people. Um, we can do the best we can. We need to make sure that we give all the best information and make sure that they understand that we're speaking to them at their literate health literacy level. Um, and as long as they understand, they, they can make their own independent decisions. But we really try to continually readdress that topic uh, to make sure that they have full understanding about that it, it's it's very important to protect your skin and 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 as a future prevention and especially as on therapy prevention, especially the phototoxic ones, photosensitizing ones, I should say. You know, it occurred to me in this conversation that also it could be a very conflicting relationship with the sun because on the one hand we're talking about skin uh, sun protection and sun safety here. On the other hand, there's like a lot of benefits of um, sunlight, for example, like seasonality, right, and mood and. And there's this whole thing about vitamin D coming out. And so do you get any sort of um, 
people who talk about that, like, what, well, what do I do if I can't get my vitamin D or what if I do if I, you know, I really need the sun to wake up or feel, feel like a normal mood. So I, we have that conversation. They see they kind of go in waves along with what kind of comes out. What's the uh, the latest reporting in the news? <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> what's the topic du jour? We don't routinely do vitamin D levels in our office. Um, it's that's often done in the primary care office. If someone were to ask me to have one done, I would not be adverse to that, especially, you know, if, if they needed it done to take back to their primary care. Um, I, I do recommend that if people are taking vitamin D on their own accord, that they do have levels checked because not everybody needs uh, D supplementation. Those of us here in the Northeast, most of us do. Uh, <laughs> so, um, however, the conversation that I tend to have with folks is that, listen, you only need about 10 minutes of sunlight uh, per day, and you can certainly get that with sunscreen on. Sunscreen is not 100% full protection. You do still get that stimulation that you need. And the other part of that is also just experiencing the the sun on your face, the the the, the fresh air, uh, getting out and engaging with, with just the, the outdoors. But um, I do tell people and reinforce that it, it's, it's a myth that you can't get the vitamin D that you need from natural sources uh, if you're wearing sun protection. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. We do, we also tell people, you know, if you really need to, you know, sit outside in the morning, do it first thing in the morning, you know, get up, have your cup of coffee, cup of coffee outside on your porch at 6am, you know, but still wearing protective clothing and those things. It takes, like you said, just a few minutes to get what you need as far as vitamin D. And um, we get a lot of questions about whether the, the physical blocking sunscreens actually allow vitamin D. Um, from what I've been able to read, there is a small amount of vitamin D that still gets in even with that reflective product. So like you said, Ab it's good. Absolutely. And, you know, let's not forget, food has vitamin D. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if you feel like you're not getting enough, I would recommend that someone works with one of their primary care providers, get an actual assessment, deal with the facts and the figures, um, what, what that individual person's needs are, and that supplement, if you don't feel that you're getting enough of that sun exposure that, that you just don't believe that it is, then look at the foods that are, support your diet and support your good health um, because it's not the only way. It shouldn't, I just shouldn't be as much of a controversy in my opinion. Um, but, but we meet patients where they're at. And I know I've said that a few times and it's just so important because if I, I can tell them all the things that, that we recommend, quote unquote, but if they're not going to do it or they're not interested or they're not capable or they just don't believe in it um, or they just then I need to know that because then uh, then I know how to help navigate them um, to on their path to success. And Kathy, that's a really great point. And I think that's something that, you know, we try to do as well is just to say, OK, here's what we think you should do what are you realistically going to do? Because mm -hmm. I can give you some tips based upon where you're going to fall, you know, and, and like you said, not everyone is going to, you can only lead the horse to water. And so, you know, a lot of times 
especially because I'm also in the Northeast, we get some folks that are like, no way, I've been out in the sun my whole entire life. And I'm like, yep, that's how we got here. So (laughs) now we have to try to figure out some ways while you're farming or doing whatever else you're doing outside, you know, we have to try to find a way to protect ourselves. Even if, you know, like you said, with men, it's, it's, it's a challenge sometimes to get them to wear sunscreen. My own father is a perfect example of that. He is an Italian man with very dark skin, but yet had a basal cell. So, you know, I'm constantly on him about wearing sunscreen. He doesn't love it, love it, but we have compromised where he wears spray sunscreen and he rubs it in and he's wearing some type of sun protection and I'm happy. So I think we just need to make sure that as providers, we listen to where our patients are coming from and try to find them. Yeah, Melissa, the um, what just sort of sparkled up for me is that um, you mentioned that you're you're of Italian descent, and we know that Italy is a huge place, and there's a lot of different complexions that come along with with that country, and there are people who feel like, well, but I I tan up really well, or you know I have darker pigmented skin, so you know. I I really don't need to do that as much because I have this sort of natural protection. So we're really sort of distilling down these um, misperceptions of the fact that everybody's at potential Mm -hmm. risk. We know know that lighter pigmented um, folks uh, definitely are at a higher risk, uh, but that's, it's not a zero risk for, for other folks. And especially with the lighter or hypopigmented areas of skin like um, uh, the palms of the hands, the soles of the feet, um, perhaps in some mucosal areas. So it's just important across the board getting that message to, to everyone, especially dads. Especially dads. And melanoma okay. doesn't know color. So that's... that's. Well, this is so interesting because my dad refuses to use sunscreen. So there must be a pattern here. So that's, that's, that's interesting. Very interesting. Um, well, it, generational, right? Like, I mean, you know, the it's it's not that we can't educate our, our older folks, uh, and it's it's a willingness to change, and it's a readiness, and I think that there needs to be that that buy-in, and helping them uh, find the place in their decision making and tap into their experiences where we might be able to have some wiggle room with changing, changing their view and their perception of a situation. It is interesting because my, my father's sort of explanation, he's, he's a chemist, um, and he's thinking, well, my sun exposure today is going to take, you know, many, many decades to really cause harm. I'm 84 years old, it's going to be okay. That's number one. So age, you know, using the age argument. And the other argument, of course, as a chemist is like, what are those chemicals in the sunscreen? So I don't, I don't know if you get that a lot. People are really reluctant to do, do sunscreen because of a chemi- like issues about the environmental impacts and, and how it's, uh, you know, putting chemicals on your skin. Melissa, go ahead. No, I was going <laughs> to, you're our guest. You should talk. I, um, the conversations that we have is that right now, we're very lucky that there are a lot of options for sunscreen. And so there are ones that are safe for the environment and there are ones that do not absorb into your skin and there are ones that do. And there are natural sunscreens and mineral-based sunscreens. And so there are a lot of options. And for folks that have worries about chemicals or worries about the environment, there's a sunscreen out there for you. (laughs) Um, So there are a lot of options now that we didn't have before. So again, it's it's that theme of meeting your patient where they are. 
Totally. Um, there, in, in the spirit of this, there's so many choices with sunscreens. I think one of the great things that's happening is that there is a huge reevaluation happening currently of uh, the compositions, the ingredients that are going into a lot of sunscreens. I, I'm hoping that over the next year or so, um, you either of you might have a little bit more um information on that. But I know as of last year, there wasn't, you know, COVID's kind of slowed everything down. Mm -hmm. But there's a huge reevaluation happening on that forefront. Um, and one of the biggest things uh, going back a few years, and again, this kind of comes in, in waves of, well, why am I putting on sunscreen to prevent cancer if this might potentially create cancer? Uh, there are some constituents that could promote some sort of endocrine or this is hormone adjustment and, and changes. Um, I don't have good clinical answers for people who are listening to this. Uh, just that you need to be responsible about what your preference is and talk to your clinicians as to um, what they're recommending and what they're promoting um, and what's going to be reasonable for your lifestyle. You can put sunscreen on, but if you're not going to reapply it and you're going to be out all day, uh, then you might need to have a backup plan or, or just maybe evaluate an another sunscreen that, that could support your 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 goal for your day and your activities or your vacation mm -hmm. or, or focus on clothing right using hats and sunglasses Absolutely. and and things like that that that's that's not necessarily something you have to apply but something that can protect you mm -hmm. but we're also still recommending that people are putting that sunscreen on in those mm -hmm. exposed areas and making sure that you get up underneath the um the cuffs of of t-shirts up underneath the cuffs of shorts um uh, things as such and not all clothings are created equally that there are the a lot of the trends recently are these really wonderfully soft almost translucent shirts um where mm -hmm. there's like really no protection so to your point doc that there's probably uh more sun protective clothing um but routine clothing can sometimes only add maybe three to five percent uh of spf protection so depending on what your risk exposure is, and Melissa mentioned timing, so important. You know, our data and clinical research has shown that the, the peak sun hours uh, to avoid are usually between like 10 and 4, 10 and 5, maybe even depending on where you're at and in the, on the earth uh, and, and how and what time of year that is. But the earlier in the morning hours and the later in the afternoon hours tend to be the most uh, friendly for sun exposure. Go get that D during those times. Well, that, that's really great advice because I think what you're also saying is you can still get some sun, also timing matters when you go out during the day. Um, mm -hmm. It does matter as well. Um, in terms of uh, what, I'm, what I've also heard uh, just a, a, a couple of segments ago was really about um, different aspects of the sun. So I'm thinking there's the, the physical light that, you know, help, again, helps us understand where when morning is and when evening is. There's the heat that you mentioned, you know, feeling that heat on your face, which is the infrared um, energy of the sun. And of course, there's the UV portion of that, um, which is the sort of that that's the damaging portion that we're trying to protect the sunscreen. So it did occur to me that it's almost like trying to figure out how you can get some of the other benefits of the sun without the UV portion of it. Timing your activities, too, um, depending on, you know, do you have to go out and, you know, uh, 
garden in the middle of the day. Um, can you do? Can you reserve that for in the morning time hours? Maybe adjust the schedule a bit. Um, and it's also healthier to not have that direct uh, heat. I, I know I personally put myself in a situation where I was all protected up, ready to go, and it was the middle of July, and it was noon, and I had my hat on. I actually ended up getting a, a very minor heat situation, heat stroke situation, um, heat exhaustion. Uh, I didn't have to go to the emergency room, but like it took a, at least a good 24, 48 hours to recover from that. So somebody is otherwise healthy, hydrated, well-protected. Um, there's other factors to include in there as well. And if you're someone who's on treatment um, and you might already have some fatigue or um, uh, some skin sensitivity to start off with would really behoove one to uh, thoughtfully consider and map out that that timing um, to limit the UV exposure, but also to limit some of that heat exposure uh, that that could uh, get mistaken potentially for maybe a toxicity or a side effect of treatment. Mm -hmm. That, that's a good point too, because sometimes when you're out in the sun and the heat, and then there's also a hydration issue, right? Because if you're, you're having a side effect and you're not eating as well or things like that, you can get dehydrated much quicker. So there, there are other things besides just the UV that we can talk about that you know that um, needs to be thought of. That's a good point. So what are some of the other things, especially in terms of when, when folks come to the, the office that you've heard and relationship to sun safety and, and sort of the emotional components of that? And, and again, this this uh, conflict with the, you know, the relationship with the sun. What else have you, you both heard? I think one of the hardest things for, for patients in our clinic in terms of like an emotional outside of, you know, I'm terrified of the sun is really getting everyone, which is where we started, getting everyone on board. So really, you know, we have a lot of moms who say, you know, here I was diagnosed with a melanoma. I have teenage or adult children who refuse to get skin exams, refuse to wear sunscreen. Um, and so, you know, I find myself counseling patients to deal with their family members as well as patients. So, um, you know, I always try to stress to patients that, again, you can only present the information to your family members, to your children. And if they choose still not to participate, at least you've done your due diligence at trying to educate them. And, you know, you can't force folks to practice sun safety, but you need to give them all the tools available to really participate if they'd like to. And just following up with them and just reinforcing it and, and just gently, kindly, persistently uh, reinforcing that. And uh, I think as when I kicked off, when we kicked off the conversation, what's good for the patient is good for the family, whether they are blood relatives or not, but especially if they're blood relatives uh, and that they've been, gone through the same growing up circumstances. Um, they've had the same sort of exposures. You know, the family goes on vacation uh, every year to the, to the Jersey Shore or wherever that they go. So there are similarities that could could show up in families because of the way families have conducted their um, their recreational behavior or their work patterns. So uh, what's good for the patient is good for the family. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you both for that. That's a great way to wrap up. Um, you know, it's really what I heard today was a lot about that communication, opening up that dialogue, meeting people where they are. And then um, just being being there to support them. So thank thank you both for for a really really interesting uh, conversation. And 
uh, looking forward to being able to connect again. Thank you, Dr. Liu. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for coming. This was great. For more information on this topic, please visit aimandmelanoma.org. If this podcast was useful, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple, Google Play, or Spotify. This podcast offers insight into the world of melanoma care, covering a range of educational, inspirational, and scientific content. You can find all shows, including this one, at aimatmelanoma.org. Aim at Melanoma is a global foundation dedicated to finding more effective treatments and ultimately the cure for melanoma 